0: we Big Red Bench Saturday and Sunday from
1: 6pm Cork's Red FM
2: Welcome to a brand new edition of the Big Red Bench Women's Sport Podcast I'm your host Jeremy McCarthy on this week's show our special VIP guest is former Irish rugby international and Munster star Kira Griffin who joined Wendy Keenan and I to preview her upcoming appearance for the Barbarians against Munster at Thoman Park we also review the opening weekend of the new AAL season where Munster teams UL Bowes and Bannon got off to winning starts AFLW expert and Aussie rule's coach to the stars Mike Corran returns to the bench to review and analyze every result from the third round of the AFLW season and look at every Irish player's performance including a preview of round four and all the latest AFLW Irish player of the year standings. Formula One expert Sarah Mackenzie Foley is on the bench to review this past weekend's Singapore Grand Prix and finally I have a full roundup of all last weekend's Cork LGFA Senior Intermediate and Junior Club Championship results including scores, standout players and what it all means heading to the knockout stages of this year's County Championships. That's all to come on this week's Big Red Bench Women in Sport podcast.
3: Ay, 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 ay. Ay, ay, ay,
2: ay. Resident rugby expert Wendy Keenan joined me on this week's Corks Red FM Big Red Bench Women in Sport podcast to interview former Irish international and Munster player Kira Griffin. Kira returns to the playing field for the Barbarians and their historic September 30th clash with Munster at Thoman Park. Kira will also be one of the seven Irish players in the Barbarians women's squad, including Catherine Buggy, Lindsay Pete, Kira O'Connor, Kira Cooney, Ailsa Hughes, and Mary Healy. Wendy Keenan and I also look back over the opening weekend of the new women's AIL season where Munster teams, UL Bohemians and Ballancolic each recorded morale boosting victories. Now on Corks FM's big red bench, it is a huge thrill for us to have uh, Kira Griffin, the former Irish and Munster rugby player on this week's rugby segment alongside our regular rugby expert, Wendy Keenan. Wendy, first of all, you're very welcome back to the bench. How are you?
1: Thanks million. I'm great, Jerk.
2: To hear from you again and Kira Griffin, it is a real pleasure to talk to you, and thank you for taking the time to speak to us here on the Big Red Bench. How are things going with you?
0: All oh, good, job. Thanks for having
2: me. And the reason we have you on the show, Kira, is because you will be part of the historic double header at Thoman Park on Saturday, the 30th of September. Where at 4:30 p.m. the men's monster team will take on Barbarians. But before that, and far more importantly, in my opinion, the women's monster team will be taking on Barbarians with a two o'clock kickoff. Kira, you will be involved because you will be playing for the Barbarians. So, first of all, how did this come about? And second of all, how much are you looking forward to the occasion?
4: Yeah, it's, it's kind of still a bit mad to be honest, it's still kind of sinking in. and um, we're we're actually getting ready now to play out uh, for sort of first, but it basically happened in um so in August going to Stockley, and um, rang me to see would I be interested in nothing off the old boots and coming back and playing with the bad guys again. And um, and I was kinda of shocked at myself at my own reaction, it was I didn't even hesitate, i said yes straight away, <laughs> considering I hadn't played rugby in nearly two years, It was a shock to me. Um but the Bavarians is just such a special jersey. It's just such a special shirt. And like that, I th- I was very fortunate that I played with the Bavarians uh, once previously um, when we played South Africa in November 21. Um, and that week just made me fall right back in love with rugby again. And it makes you kind of realise why you play rugby. It's just, a, it's for the game. It's nothing else. It's just because you love to a ball around and, and running hopefully running around people and not getting tackled to too many times. But yeah, um, so that's that was the whole reason I said I'd do it again. And then when she said we're going to play Munster in <laughs> Thomond, like that was that was pinch yourself moment. Um, so I'm really really excited. I can't wait to get to run out from the and turf again. Obviously a different jersey, but it's still a nice run out in the park.
2: Yeah, I mean a cocktail of emotions. I'd imagine. Obviously, the the, the quick reaction to the yes before she even finished the question is a clear indication of just how much you wanted you to play. But getting to play at home and getting to wear the Barbarians jersey yet again, but playing monster Kira. I mean, you're saying there you'll be trying to avoid tackles. How many people will you be lining up and uh, crunching as well? Come on, be honest. I know, that, it's
4: just it's great because some of my friends are still playing monster. Um, so it's going to be amazing to play against them and it'll be strange really. I'm used yeah. to playing with people not against them so um, it's going to be exciting I'm looking out some Irish players with me as well um, in the Badgers jersey so they'll all be on the straight and narrow hopefully.
2: Um And you have a couple of uh, Irish players in that particular Barbarians team which we spoke about in last week's uh, Big Red Bench we're going to speak about again very shortly but I suppose from if we take a step back for a second, Kira, the importance of Munster playing the Barbarians the same day that the men play them—that the women's rugby is being treated equally on a double, you know, a main double main event, if you want to put it a different way at Thomond Park, getting the same billing, getting the same promotional push—how important is that for Munster and just for women's rugby in general? It's
4: it's so important. It's, you have to see it. It's all about visibility. It's all about promotion, and like you have to you have to come in Munster for promotion. You come this game from the very outset, it hasn't just been the men's bars with the women's, I'd hang on out the women's barbarians and the men's barbarians with the, you know, the Munster women's team and the men's team. It's been a full of 50-50 each and brilliant to see. It's a pure, it's just great to see rugby being promoted and the spectacle that it's going to be because there's some great players on both sides going to battle um, for a full 80 minutes and, and to get two great matches as well. It's, it's, it's going to be a really family event and that's what I love to see it. They're really pushing the family side of it, and you can see how it's going to be so enjoyable for families. And it's great for both young boys and young girls to get a chance to see that look, you could be in the Red monster, the Red Jersey of Munster, playing either both Wins or Women's Rugby, and you're getting the same opportunities to play in tournament. I think that's really special, um, and it's something that needs to be highlighted and just commended it because it's, it's tournament is such a special fortress, and uh, to get to play there, I'll be against Munster this, this time it's just so better for even for those girls in the Munster jersey getting thrown out and, and represent that crest in their chest again it's and cert- I just think it's going to be really exciting
2: It certainly is. Um, I just wanted to mention as well, as you mentioned there, because on the 30th of September and Saturday, Thoman Park, 2 o'clock, the Munster women's versus the Barbarians women's at 2 o'clock, followed by the men's game at half past 4. Family packed of four tickets are available for €40 with an individual adult ticket for €20. And you can pick up your tickets if you go to munsterrugby.ie, all the information is there. Wendy Keenan, you know Kira Griffin, you know what kind of a player she is, what kind of a person she is. Um, It's going to be a lovely moment to see her in that Barbarian's jersey as part of what is a historic day and it's important that she is part of that event.
1: Oh, absolutely, Ger. I mean, you know, as we say about the monster blood, um, you know, that runs through Kira as well. And I mean, her reputation goes ahead of her, but it's going to be special, as you mentioned, because you're going to be playing against your old teammates um, but she's going to be in the away changing room I'll have to find that out but I know Kerry, like you'll get the the warm monster welcome you might have a different jersey on you but you, you'll still be one of our own and I suppose I'd like to ask you about you know you're off to South Africa now and people will be you know for the training people would love to know about what's the schedule in advance of, of the barbarians like how do they prepare when they're coming from all over can you t- give us a little insight into that yeah so um, it's actually
4: a good timing. I'm currently trying to fantasy pack a bag and um, for tomorrow, so we're flying out um from Dublin to Heathrow on Tuesday, um, and we're meeting as a so all of the players are based in in England and those flying to England will meet there, and then we fly to South Africa, and um, and then we're hoping to land in South Africa Wednesday morning. All go all going with and um, we land in South Africa Wednesday morning, and then so all of us will meet them collectively all of all of our variants from you know, New Zealand and um, from from Italy and everything, we'll all meet there. Um, And then, so on Wednesday, it's like a gym and a pool, a a recovery day, so you just have to travel, you can do your own training. And then we're training Thursday. Training Thursday, we have an event on Thursday as well, I think, with local schools, which is really exciting. Um, Then we're training, again, Captain's on Friday, and then we're playing South Africa on Saturday. So it is pretty jam-packed, but no, it's really exciting, looking forward to it. And then we get a kind of a a down day after, and then we're getting ready to travel for Munster and then we've got our, all our training days um, leading up into the Munster as well, Munster game. So it's a pretty jam-packed schedule, I must say. Um, but I really can't wait. It's going to be so exciting and getting to play with some
1: phenomenal players you've watched or you pre- and you've analysed yourself and getting to learn alongside them is going to be pretty cool. Oh, brilliant. And I have to bring it up because I'm an admirer and a follower of Ultimate Hell Week. So I have to ask you, <laughs> is it as severe as it looks and how important will that play in your preparation for that big match in Munster?
4: Yeah, uh, it's definitely,
1: I can tell you now, with
4: nothing is put on for the camera. Absolutely nothing. Everything everything you saw happened. And it was probably one of the most hard, toughest, the most grueling experiences I've ever done. And um, definitely the most rewarding. I learned an awful lot about myself. And I learned a lot of, I suppose, mental strategies I didn't know I had. And that really helped me and um, through it. Obviously, look, I was disappointed. I didn't get to the end. Um, I'm never fully happy unless I finish something. Um, but it was class. And definitely some of those, I suppose, that King of the Ring stuff will help me, hopefully, around Crowbar Park, try to get away with a few people and stay, stay within the lines, not being thrown, thrown over the sideline, hopefully.
2: Whatever about the physical aspect of that RT TV series, uh, for people who haven't seen it, um, talk to me, Like, were you surprised at the emotional. Side of it, Kira, because you know the kind of physical demands are going to be put on you. If you've seen the previous series, the kind of challenges that are put up there and how tough the army guys are on you, uh, because they have to be. But the emotional side of it—I mean, the you know the pressure, the mental strength that you need—even just i am a huge admirer of anybody that does it, let alone how long they're there. Um, was that was that a surprise? Was that something that you had to you hadn't figured w- would would be a factor? Yeah, I, I suppose I knew my head it would be, I
4: suppose, mostly taxing, but I just didn't. I suppose I didn't understand or realise the intensity of it and how quickly you'd get to that stage um, because you totally buy in when you're in it. It feels like real life. Um, you know, the helicopter crash, it feels like it happens. It feels like you're bringing down these people on stretchers, these amputees, and you're trying to get them to safety. And it, it becomes real life, and then you become... you. Adapt. It sounds mad now, thinking back, it, but when you're in it, it's just the situation, the pressure part situation, how you react to it, and... And, um, yeah, it's just, I just admire them so much. Um, all, like, the, the defence forces, they need to be recognised more for everything they do for us and what they put themselves through both physically and mentally. And, like, that was only a, a six-day TV show and we were boosted after it. So they do this for 15, 20-plus years, um, which is pretty, pretty intense.
1: As as a spectator, I have to say though that your leadership qualities came really came to the fore when it mattered in those events that that uh, and you should be commended for that because that's been throughout your career as a rugby player. I'm going to ask you a little bit of something different. You know, we talk about the pathways and the young girls coming through, and we know how hard you've been training. Cause I, you know, we can see it on social media how you've been training. But have you been watching all those young girls coming through from Munster and, and following the interpros? And I suppose. Is a positive for the future, you know, when we create these pathways for the young girls coming through. Hundred percent. Like that like
4: you said when the pathways is key and it's great to see these pathways are being put in place. Like I became I came through a pathway system myself. Like I played once under eighteens with Amanda Greensmith and that was my first place for representation European. I went through the stages then when senior and, and, and thankfully I went all the way up. Um, but the fact that girls are getting exposed at a younger age now, I didn't like when I was eighteen, I you had a representation of the level. But players like girls are getting into these camps now, they're getting into different talent ID programs. Um and it's just so important to give them that confidence and that exposure to so it's high performance at a young age because then you know what's expected of you. Um and then I suppose it's not much of a jump when it comes into senior level. But I really think it's really important, like with these pathways that like that is being done, that, you know, we do the, the S and C the strength conditioning side of it. Um, because we do see players now they're just becoming more and more physical. They're getting stronger, they're getting faster, and getting fitter at a younger age throughout other nations as well. So, it's, I think, once we have a key development block in these pathway systems, you're just going to see a real feeder system, um, from grassroots into red jerseys and green jerseys. But, um, it's that, as like you said, like it starts at grassroots, and it's great that the structure are there. It's just to keep them feeding through now, and then we see girls taking up the sport and giving it a try because. It's, it's an amazing sport. Like You learn such self-discipline, such skill and such respect for others. Um, because I've gone back playing with football now and it's a lot of running. But um, it's something always, I always commend is that the respect shown in rugby towards officials and towards other players. Um, and I just think other sports at times can learn from that also. Um, so I really do believe it's rugby is a sport that if any parents are wondering or oh, what I send my own daughter... Just do it, just send them. They will love it. And you could have a young girl in a red jersey in, in five or six years, and you'll be there in Tumman Park watching her play against the um So I just think it's time to get more girls playing rugby and to get that support there. But we need girls to be sent, you know, sent to clubs, get, get involved, and just learn to love rugby and really relish it.
1: I think that's an important word that you said about respect. And I'm going to reverse it on you because I think all of us, you know, who've played the game have such respect to you as a player and we're really looking forward to seeing you back in Munster, in Thomond Park playing. And I think it's 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 important for you as well to you know what I mean to be back there playing, um, albeit against the Munster uh, side. And I, I'm wondering who you're going to be swapping jerseys with at the end of the match but look, hopefully we'll have a great fun event and lots of people afterwards for a few celebrations. Um, but look, thank you for everything that you've given for to, to rugby over the years. And uh, we're really looking forward to welcoming you onto the pitch in Thoman Park. Cheers. Thanks very much,
4: really, really
2: appreciate it. Yeah. Just before we let you go, um, as we mentioned already, Thoman Park Saturday, the, uh, Thirtieth of September, two o'clock kickoff. The Barbarian women taken on Munster, um, and part of that Barbarian team will be Kira Griffin. She'll be joined uh, by Catherine Buggy, Lindsay Pete, Kira O'Connor, Kira Cooney, Elsa Hughes and Mary Healy um, as part of the Irish contingent one thing I did notice in the research so Karen, I wanted to ask you the Barbarians is synonymous down through the years and the men's side of rugby obviously uh, down through history we're playing open attractive rugby there's a play with the French land they like to get the ball and keep it all moving but they like to win as well there's a winning mentality there's 631 caps and eight nations represented on this barbarians team you've already talked about your fact that you're flying out to south africa to get ready for this game so it's obviously taken very seriously it's a high performance environment is there much downtime is there much kind of relaxation time and is there a time a chance for you to talk and meet the other players in kind of a relaxed environment because it is taken seriously it is a big deal the barbarians but is there that friendly element too the to it too that Wendy has just spoken about there what happens after the games and the importance of the social aspect of it as well. But this has been taken very seriously, uh, as I said. You're entering a high performance environment, with a lot of experience in this Barbarians team. But I would imagine the ethos is, is as important as ever that you enjoy it rather than just have to experience it.
4: Hundred percent, it is, and it's. I must like um, Stockers is, is really good at that at making sure that we do our work on the pitch, but you get you have to get to know each other after the pitch because. It's such a short time frame, it's very hard to trust a person on the pitch if you don't know the it. So we do spend a lot of time getting to know each other, even just with do downtime, chatting, and very big, mixing groups, and a few games we've played and all that, and just to get to know each other. Um, and the, the one thing with them is they always back you. If you want to try something, just, just do it, and something I've always believed in, just back yourself, give it a go. Um, like Flair is one of the is a big ethos on the bad jersey, and Hopefully, we'll see a bit of flair now in, in our games, and that uh, we do encourage each other and just enjoy it. And um, because I think once you enjoy something, it just falls into place, and that's what we're hoping to, to bring um, to tournament.
2: Excellent stuff. September the 30th on Saturday, two o'clock kickoff, part of a doublehead of the Barbarian women taking on Munster women on behalf of Wendy Keenan and on behalf of myself and everybody at Corkshire FM, Kira Griffin, we are absolutely delighted to see you back in a Barbarian's jersey playing rugby again at the top level and we wish you all the best with it. Hopefully, well, from a Munster point of view, we hope you enjoyed the experience but from a Munster point of view, maybe we'll talk about the result another time but look, it's great to see you. Great to have you back in a jersey out there again and I hope you enjoy every minute of it.
4: Thanks very much, sir. Really
2: appreciate it. Right. That was Kira Griffin, who will be representing the Barbarians against Munster as part of a double header on September the 30th at two o'clock kickoff, the Barbarian Women against the Munster Women at Thoman Park, followed by the men, uh, Munster against Barbarians. Tickets available. There's a really good value as we keep telling you family pack of four tickets for just 40 euro. Get onto munsterrugby.ie website for more information. Before we finish up this week, Wendy, we have some even more positive news because it was a, the start of the women's AIL was last weekend, and UL Bohemians and Balnecolig got off to a cracking start.
1: Up on the table, Jar for the two monster <laughs> teams after round one. Can we just press pause? Leave it that. Um, yeah, two away games, two wins. UL Bulls now number one because the points of prints, and then followed by Balnecolig. I mean, what a start. You couldn't believe it. UL Bulls defeated Wicklow. They had tries from Alanna um, Myrna Wall, Lily Brady, uh, Louise McGongle. Um So, like, great tries from our monster girls. Uh, Lily Brady plays for for Connacht. But, um, you know, uh, look wonderful to see. Um, they're delighted to see it. And they're at home to Gall Regions next Saturday. So, um, they'll be looking forward to that. They, they look for probably two wins from two, I would imagine, um, in that match. Ball and Collig, um, were also away, so they were away to Gaul Regions and they de- defeated Gaul Regions 25-12, cracking match. Um, apparently they grew into the game, um, especially in the second half. And um, they had tries from Heather Kennedy, two from Heather Kennedy, Michelle O'Driscoll, Roshi Normans, which we had here a couple of weeks ago, mm. and um, Anna Roach. But their story is a little bit different. Six senior debuts for Balancholic, and I'm going to name the girls like we always do. Aoife Madigan, Shaq Wall, Emma Connolly, who's also a skid player. She's doing dual status. Aoife Fleming, Kira Fleming and Anna Roach. So six girls getting their first time playing in the women's AIL and a win for Bad and Colic. Next week, they're um, at home to Setonians, but Setonians couldn't field last weekend. And I do believe they have lost a coach as well in the last um, 10 days because they couldn't field. And. Um, so that'll be an interesting way to see whether that match goes ahead or not on Saturday. But look, we wish them the very best of luck in their their two next matches. Wouldn't it be great next year if we were saying Munster are still top two? But I'm going to mention the final word is going to go to the Colleague Trailblazers because they play the West Westcourt Jesters in Ballincollig on Saturday afternoon. A fantastic match uh, by the mixed ability teams and um, a great fun had by all apparently um, in that fixture. So we'll include those now in our fixtures going forward as well. Um, and we're going to have lots of fixtures coming up so we'll fit in everything
2: and rightly so fantastic news well done to the Jesters and well done to the Balancholic teams as well and as we said it's a positive way to end this week's segment two monster teams top of the table Balancholic and annual Bohemians we wish them well for the rest of the AIL season as we'll be tracking their progress every week here on the Big Red Bench as we will with just about every other team we can hear about across the province but for now uh, Wendy Keenan first of all thanks very much for organising that Kerry Griffin interview and thanks very much once again for joining us here on the Big Red Bench
1: No problem Jerry. thank you
0: Miss the show? Grab the Big
1: Red Bench podcast at redfm.ie. Corks Red FM.
2: AFLW Ireland's Mike Curran joined me on this week's Corks Red FM Big Red Bench Women in Sport podcast to provide analysis, comment and his expert coaching opinion on every single one of this past weekend's AFLW games. Mike also gave the lowdown on each Irish player's performance during the third weekend of the new AFLW campaign, and we also previewed all of this weekend's round four matches. Now, the AFLW season is up and running after the completion of the third round of fixtures this past weekend, so there's only one man we talked to here on Corkstreet FM's big red bench, and that is our resident AFLW expert, coach to the Stars in AFLW Ireland's Mike Curran. Mike, welcome back to the bench. How are you?
3: Very good, Jerry. Thanks, Mel, and yourself?
2: Not too bad. Three rounds in and we're not short of headlines, Mike, uh, on and off the fields and the ovals around Australia. So let's just dive straight in, shall we?
3: Let's go, yeah,
2: <laughs> for sure. Straight Ooh. in is the only option. We start uh, last Friday evening at the GM HBA Stadium where North Melbourne Kangaroos got the better of Geelong 31-22, a close game. The North Melbourne Kangaroos' Irish contingent this year include Eilish Considine, Eric O'Shea and Neave Martin, while Geelong have three other Irish players as well in Rachel Kearns, Ashling Maloney and Anna Rose Kennedy. But it was the Kangaroos who won out on this one, Mike.
3: Well Jer, and prior to this game, these sides had met five times and North had won every one of those, including a game in last year's final series. But it was actually the Cats who opened the better. Of course they were at home down GM HBA Stadium and they looked like they were going to reverse that trend. North Melbourne only had one behind in the first quarter and three behind scored by half time, so no goals scored whatsoever. And they found themselves behind by seventeen points and Geelong were looking very impressive across that first half, but we did see a brilliant comeback from the Kangaroos in that second half and perhaps another side to the team with those kind of fight-back abilities that puts them even more in people's minds for contention at the business end of the season. But the big names to the four, again, you know, week on week, uh, it's almost like we're repeating ourselves here, but Jasmine Gardner, who can't be far off the player here, we're only three runs in. 32 disposes again for for the Kangaroos for the third week in a row she scored a perfect 10 in the coaches votes uh, that goes towards the AFLW Champion Player of the Year award so she's having an absolutely outstanding season so as we know Geelong's game is built on defence and rebounding from the same. and we saw that in the first half but after halftime the Kangaroos upped the ante they put the squeeze on from the half hour line they didn't allow the Cats exit and gen- and generate a lot more opportunities themselves for scores. That saw them win the second half and win the match, and to go on for a 6 0 win over the Cats and three from three for the start of the season. So, an outstanding start from them.
2: Yeah, the Kangaroos are certainly a team to watch this year. Really positive start. Can they keep it going? We're going to find that out over the next couple of weeks. We start our Saturday slate of games at the Blackton ISP Oval, where Richmond defeating Greater Western Sydney, the thir- 53-34, should have been the headline, Mike, but unfortunately it's not. It's a red-bellied black snake. Please, in the name <laughs> of God, Explain.
3: Oh, look, there's no Irish involvement in this one, but the game did produce one of the stories of the weekend, I suppose, and as you mentioned there, like, you could not make it up, the story doesn't get more Aussie than this, the game was delayed by half an hour due to the presence of the aforementioned snake on the oval, on the playing pitch, so uh, they had a real live version of Crocodile Dundee, I think, come in and take care of that snake, uh, so that made all the headlines, of course, something very unusual. Uh, I think the Giants would probably wish the Snake did stay on the pinch, to be honest <laughs> with you, because they've ended up losing their third game in a row. And their bad start to the season continues on, on a scoreline of 53-34, to 34, going down by 19 points to Richmond, who have now made it two wins and a bounce back from that loss to, to Adelaide next week. But it was the Snake that was grabbing all the headlines up in Sydney.
2: There you go. Something that we won't have. I hope not anyway in the G.A. side of things over here the LGFA but uh, something that the Aussies have to live with but uh, the, the snake is fine and was looked after properly. That's suppose that's a big headline. We move on to um, Adelaide and Essendon which to odds took place on Saturday and a big, big win for Adelaide here. 81-34 um, consigning Essendon to their first loss of the season and uh, Adelaide Crows Irish uh, on the roster this year. Neve Kelly and Yvonne Bonner. Essendon have Joanne Dunan, but um, a humbling for Essendon in this one Mike.
3: It was. Look, we mentioned last week, these were two unbeaten sides coming into this game, but we did kind of highlight the, the gulf in class and, and comparing the opposition that faced across the last few weeks. And uh, the Bombers did head up to Adelaide. They did lead a quarter times, going two goals to one at the start. But again, very similar to the last round, the Crows drove on from quarter to on. And I think if the Crows snap out of this slow starting pattern that they have, it could be bad news for, for everybody else. But yeah, it was eight goals across the second and third quarter that did the damage, and it was the class of the Crows that prevailed here. Uh, Daniel Ponter, we mentioned her last week because she scored the goal of the round in round two. She added three more this week, um, one of the stars on show, and we had the two Irish Crows in action. neve Kelly was having a great season so far, another 13 disposals for her, four tackles, and also Yvonne Bonner featuring very prominently up front for the Crows getting on the scoreboard with two behinds as well.
2: Excellent stuff. Yes, and uh, good to see those names popping up in the headlines, as you said. A big, big win for Adelaide there over Essendon. We move on now to Melbourne, the Demons and the Bulldogs that met at Casey Field. And Melbourne recording uh, a 12th consecutive AFLW win, but a 42-point hammering here, 83-41, uh, to 41, Mike. Um, and that's in itself, is a reminder of Melbourne's uh, ability. But what does it say about the Bulldogs and their season ahead?
3: Yeah, it kind of tells us a story about both teams, as you mentioned, Melbourne became the first team to win 50 games last year, or last week, and they've become the first team to win 12 games in a row, so they're just talking up the records week on week. Remember, there's silverware available for this game, the hampson Harderman Cup, which is awarded for the Demons Bulldogs every season in recognition of both these teams as being pioneers of the game uh, of professional women's footy and the AFLW. So there was a trophy at the end of it, but it was in no doubt uh, that... It was the demons that were taking home that silverware. We preempted again last week that the Bulldogs, would uh, their poor start would continue, and this was the case. And they did bring some intensity, and they might have been somewhat uh, hampered a bit by injury, but down at Casey Fields, it was Melbourne definitely who better control their possessions. And look, they just look ridiculously fit uh, across the board, and they finished the game much stronger than that. Three from three for the defending champions, The two Irish players, again, prominent as always, having a great season as well. Blaheen Macken with 18 disposals, five marks, three tackles, and Sinead Goldrick off half-back with 14 disposals from her half-back. So that's a significant haul from there. But yeah, uh, definitely a, a difference in class here as well. And the Bulldogs go with three losses, but it's defending champions looking good.
2: Looking very very good indeed Yeah, uh, if ever there was a, a reminder needed for the rest of uh, the franchises and teams involved this year there it was now we turn to a one with, uh, next game with quite a lot of Irish interest because Fremantle, Dockers and the Hawthorne Hawks this year there are four Irish players on the Dockers roster Anya Taig, Orla Lally Amy Mulholland and Joanne Craig while the Hawks have Aileen Gilroy and Anya McDonough on their books this was a win for Fremantle 35-22 but one Irish player grabbed all the headlines Mike and rightly so
3: Rightly, so you know, a three goal opening quarter here to no score set the foundations for a great win for Fremantle Dockers. All six Irish players were on show here, so from from an Irish point of view, this was the the game of the weekend. Six goals out of the eight were scored by four different Irish players. So again, that's a record in itself. But straight to the to the main talking points on your tie, the standout player across the, the match, absolutely brilliant. You know, fantastic from start to finish in both the scoring and marking masterclass. She scored three goals, she had 12 marks, Uh, she had 20 disposals, those 12 marks were close to an AFLW record. She also received a perfect 10 score from the coaches' votes, and she's the AFLW Irish Player of the Year for Round 3, which we'll talk about a bit more later. Uh, But look, Anya Tai must love playing Hawthorne, (laughs) because this fixture last year, she scored four goals, you might recall, in, in Round 10, so absolutely on fire. And in fairness, it was the Irish that that dominated throughout the game. Orla Lally was also brilliant this time around for Dockers. She scored her second AFLW goal in as many weeks, picked up 14 disposals and uh, five marks, which is one of the strongest features of of her game, her ability to mark the ball up forward. Uh, So she, along with Onyatai, were both named on the best on ground for Dockers. And we also saw that side feature Joanne Craig and Amy Mulholland. And then if you flip across to the Hawks, who did battle bravely for the game, you had Anya McDonough and Aileen Gilroy both scoring a goal each uh, for the third round in a row. So both Aileen Gilroy and Anya McDonough have now scored a goal each in every round so far. So a brilliant start to the season for them, and the Hawks definitely relying on them somewhat to to produce some of the goals. Um, But, yeah, no doubt, absolute masterclass from Anya and brilliant from start to finish, and a good win for Fremantle Dockers.
2: Yeah, huge win for Fremantle and Anya Taig playing, as you said, not just uh, this past weekend, but her consistency over the first three weeks will be reflected in the uh, Irish afl and Player of the Year rankings, which we'll talk about a little bit later. And it's fantastic not to see her doing well, but also you mentioned Orla Lally there really coming into her own as well. Fantastic for Freo as well. Big win for them over the Hawks, 35-22 to end the Saturday slate of games. On to Sunday and uh, Port Adelaide won their first away game away from home, defeating St. Kilda by 8 points, 56-48. to St. Kilda's one Irish pair in the roster this year is Grace Kelly, but a good win for Port.
3: Yeah, again, we highlighted this as a game that someone who had lost their opening two rounds were going to win, so it was going to be a first win for somebody. As it turned out, it was Port Adelaide that got that first win, and as you mentioned, it was their first ever win away from home. But it was a brave effort from St. Kilda. You know, they were actually ahead at halftime and up by twenty points at one stage in the the third quarter. But it it was Port Adelaide who came back with the strongest finish to take the win there. So an impressive comeback for them, which saw AFLW legend Aaron Phillips score her first goal for Port Adelaide. Um, but that, this definitely feels like one that got away for St Kilda, you know, especially at home uh, at RSA Park. Um, so they will be ruining that one. Grace Kelly, the only Irish player on show on this one for St Kilda and a solid game from her as always with 11 disposals.
2: Yes, you talk about solid players and 11 disposal says it all there, another uh, another good consistent performance but uh, and, a, and a much needed win as we just mentioned. On now to the West Coast Eagles who Ashley McCarthy, the Irish players on their roster this year while Carlton who they faced this past Sunday have Rowan Fitzpatrick and Daniel Finn on their roster but it was West Coast who suffered their third loss to the start of the season Mike as Carlton got up and running with a much needed 77-24 victory.
3: Yeah, a much-needed win for Carlton after last week's result, you know, and it it was an even enough opening quarter as well, but from then on it was the Carlton Blues who pulled away for a big win for them, away from home as well. It was up in Perth. um, Three big losses in a row now for West Coast, you know, not not just losing big losses, so it's a terrible start to the season for them. There's no way of dressing that up. Uh, This was the first time the sides had ever met in AFLW, and um, uh, the Blues atones. remember, they lost by 10 goals to the Kangaroos the week before. So they've come back fighting and got a big win on the goal there on the board. And this is their second highest ever score that they've kicked as well. So um, from an Irish point of view, we had Iran Fitzpatrick for Carlton playing very well, scoring her second AFLW goal in a brilliant N10 move. Um, so she's on the scoreboard two weeks in a row as well. And on the losing side... Ash Mack, we talk about her every week. You know, She was brilliant despite the results going against her. Uh, I, I'd hate to think what the scores would be if Ash Mack wasn't involved here, but she had 19 disposals again, two marks, tackling all day long, and she battled relin- relentlessly from start to finish. The Eagles definitely have some problems with their ruck at the moment, and they're losing the ruck battles week on week, so that's something that they need to address. But no doubt, Ash Mack will keep fighting on regardless, and hopefully Eagles get that first win sometime soon.
2: Yeah, hopefully for Ashling's sake, sooner rather than later, but uh, no disputing the result there with uh, Carlton running out convincing winners. We move now to the upset of the round, as you've entitled it here, Mike. Um, Collingwood Magpies going down 33 21 at home to the Gold Coast Suns. Now, Ireland's interest in this. There are three players on the Gold Coast Suns roster for the coming season Clara Fitzpatrick, Neil McLaughlin, and Carl McRossin, while Collingwood have Sarah Rowe and Ashling Sheridan. But, um, one player again, Jamie Stanton's name, popping up in this one. But this was a big, big shock, Mike.
3: It was. And look, at I think there's definitely momentum from Gold Coast and, and probably in, inside their own camp. They they won't be shocked as everyone else, but it definitely was the upset of the round. Uh, they recorded their first ever win over Collingwood and it was at Victoria Park, which is, which is Collingwood's hold. Home ground. So look at the Suns were deserving winners here. They played exciting footy. They were more clinical with their scoring uh, throughout, as can be reflected in the amount of behinds that Collingwood scored. Jamie Stanton was one of the standout players in the competition last week with six goals. She added another three goals this week so she's becoming one of the the best forwards and remember she's only moved into the forward line this year normally previously played off half back or the midfield so that's one of the finds of the season for them but it's got to be frustrating for Collingwood you know despite repeated inside 50s in that first half they didn't put on scoreboard pressure they got eight scores in the first half and only one of those was a goal and seven behind so that really um, had a big impact on the game but Suns did an excellent job as well on limiting some of their stars, such as the likes of uh, Bree Davy, who they put a tag on for the full game. So um, on the Irish side then, you had Sarah Rowe and Ashton Sheridan working really hard all day for Collingwood. Both were named amongst the, the best on ground. And across on the Sun side, the standout was Neve McLaughlin again. She's on the highlight reel again with these unbelievable runs up the middle of the ground at speed, sidestepping two or three players at a time. It's almost like a repeat of what we saw last week. So she's going to bring that week, on, week in, week out, and that's the reason she's there. We also had Clara Fitz playing in defence and the third Irish Sun. So this was the first game that all three Irish sons featured. Cara McCrossan for Tyrone made her AFLW debut this weekend. So a big occasion for Cara as well. But yeah, absolutely outstanding for Gold Coast. And they have an incredible start to the season.
2: They have indeed and congratulations to all those three players uh, getting on the field for that 33-21 win in a big upset over Collingwood. and we'll be looking forward to hearing more from the Gold Coast Suns and their Irish trio over the coming weeks. Our final game from round three is uh, the Brisbane, the big, big Brisbane win over Sydney, 87-32. They're first at their new home base. Before you give us the lowdown Mike, the Brisbane Lions-Irish duo on their roster this year, Orlo Dwyer and Jennifer Dunn for Sydney Swans um, from Ireland on their roster, Jennifer Higgins, Paris McCarthy, Julia, Sullivan and Tanya Kennedy but it was Brisbane all the way in this one Mike
3: yeah absolutely you know it was their first win at home they had lost two games there in a row so someone was going to face the backlash at Brighton Homes Arena and as it turned out it was Sydney's funds uh, they had four goals in the first quarter eight kicks by halftime that effectively saw them out of sight uh, Courtney saw, Courtney Hodder their electric forward was the star of the show she got three brilliant goals including one goal-of-the-year contender already. Uh, Swans definitely bought a big challenge at times, none more so than uh, their new midfielder, Laura Gardner, who actually had 41 possessions for the game. That's not a typo. That's incredible. You know, just one short of the overall mm-hmm. AFLW record of 42 held by Ash Riedel from Melbourne. So uh, they were very good at times, but the Lions were simply lethal up front and scoring at will. They had numerous multiple goal kickers. We mentioned Courtney Hodder with three Orlo O'Dwyer, best of the Irish here, had two goals again this weekend. 17 disposals, six tackles, three clearances. Absolutely dominant display for her amongst the, the best on ground. We also saw Jennifer Dunn from Dublin make her AFLW debut. So a huge weekend for her. And before that game, we saw her be presented with her debut Guernsey from the Irish Lions players, Dara Joyce, who plays on the AFL side, who's also had his contract extended, and of course, Ola Dwyer as well. And then on the Sydney side, this time around, Tanya Kennedy was the, was the standout player for the Swans. You know, she's a ferocious defender and growing into the, the sport round after round. She had 19 disposals um, and six marks, and she was definitely the Irish, uh, the best of the Irish on display today. We also had Julia Sullivan playing in defence, and the Swans also had an Irish debut Paris McCarthy made her debut for the Swans, so great excitement, Don and Kerry, for that. And talk about a baptism of fire. She looked like she was directly um, lining up against ordo Dwyer for that game, so that's some way to start her AFLW career. But yeah, um, an outstanding win uh, for the Brisbane Lions to get them back on track
2: it certainly was and good luck to all those Sydney Swan players despite that heavy defeat uh, hopefully we'll be hearing a lot more about Paris McCarthy Tani Kennedy Jennifer Higgins and Julia Sullivan over the coming weeks and months that's the wrap of round three of the AFLW season um, a lot of excitement a lot of big results and some upsets there before we take a quick look ahead to round four and get Mike's thoughts on the games to watch out for the ladder as it currently stands there are three teams at the top after, after three rounds of games North Melbourne Melbourne and Adelaide all on 12 points apiece they are followed by a clutch Of clubs on eight points. Gold Coast, Brisbane, Geelong, Fremantle, and Richmond rounding out the top eight. Carlton and Essendon are also on eight points each. Then there's a bit of a gap further back to the Hawks, who are on four. Collingwood on four. Sydney and Port Adelaide also on four points. And then clubs still searching for their first win and first point of the season. St Kilda, the Giants, the Bulldogs, and the West Coast Eagles. Now on to round four, which begins this Friday with a meeting of Hawthorne and Melbourne at the Kinetic Stadium. There's three games on the roster for Saturday. Greater Western Sydney taking on Adelaide, Icon Park hosting Carlton versus Richmond, and the Alberton Oval will see Port Adelaide and Geelong going toe to toe. And on Sunday, five big games look forward to Sydney and West Coast at Henson Park. North Melbourne can they continue their fantastic run against Brisbane at the University of Tasmania Stadium. Essendon take on Frio. St Kilda meet Collingwood and Gold Coast uh, wrap up the summer. Sunday evening with their game against the Western Bulldogs a lot to look forward there Mike but what are the games that stand out and why
3: yeah another big round coming up uh, Friday night opener will be an exciting one Melbourne versus Hawthorne you'd fancy Melbourne there but those two teams always bring a great fixture and there will be great energy and a great buzz under lights there Friday night for that one um, I think the fixture of the round is going to be North Melbourne versus Brisbane Lions on Sunday you know top of the table clash both teams unbeaten uh, or both teams absolutely flying it Uh, This will be the real test for North Melbourne now. Um, You know, they've looked absolutely unstoppable so far. This will be a serious contender they're playing against. Uh, So that's definitely um, a game to watch. And we'll see where both those teams sit after that. Um, I think everyone will be keen to see Gold Coast Suns in action again after their big win over Collingwood. And they're facing Western Bulldogs. So there's a high possibility that they'll add another win there and and keep adding to the Bulldogs' uh, misery. And, um, you know probably Sydney Swans versus West Coast Eagles. Again, two teams coming off heavy losses, big Irish involvement. Both of those teams will be it'll be looking to get a win on the board. Eagles, obviously, looking for, for their first. So, uh, yeah, again, a, a big weekend of fixtures across round four and huge Irish interest in most games.
2: Yes, which is what we like to hear and hopefully not too many uh, snake stories. We've had our first and last <laughs> one because I don't want to see those graphics again. Um, I, wouldn't, I wouldn't be able. Uh, we finish up this week, as ever, Mike, with the update on the AFLW Irish Player of the Year, which you can follow by following AFL, at AFLW Ireland on Twitter and across AFLW Ireland, across all their social media channels for updates and clips and how all the Irish players are doing. But after round three, who are the Irish players that stood out this past weekend, Mike?
3: Yeah, we're round three. The obvious one. Uh, there's never a doubt that Anya Thai was going to be the Irish player for round three. Absolutely fantastic. Uh, followed closely by Orla Dwyer, who was brilliant for Brisbane Lions, as we just mentioned a few seconds ago. And then we had Blind Mackin, actually from the Demons, in third place this week. She's got a, having a brilliant start to the season. Next up, Tanya Kennedy. Her first time featuring in the, in the top seven. So well deserved. A, a brilliant defensive performance for her. For Sydney, and then we have Sarah Rowe, Orla Lally also making her first appearance, and Ash Mack. A few regular names there, but a few new people popping up as well, which is great to see. And then overall, uh, after three rounds, uh, it's getting very close at the top. It is. We've got a tie at the Yeah, we've actually got a tie at the top. Orlo O'Dwyer and Sarah Rowe are both on 235 points, followed by Neve Kelly, who is just, who is just a few points behind on 230. Then Ash Mack, Anya Thai, Aisling Sheridan and Blahin Mack filling out the seven there again so yeah it's definitely going to be exciting week on week to see um, the movers and shakers in that list Um, and as I say these girls shining week in week out in AFLW brilliant to see it
2: it certainly is. And a lot, good to see some new names as well to, uh, through your uh, in-depth in recap there. A lot of new players that are new to the AFLW world seem to be settling in and seem to be making names of themselves amongst some pretty luminous, luminary company there with Orla Duarte, Sarah Rowe and Niamh Kelly at the top. We'll keep an eye on the AFLW Ireland, uh, Irish Player of the Year settings and standings as this season goes on. Before we let you go, Mike, where can people find even more AFLW content across your social media and online presence?
3: Keep an eye on at AFLW underscore Ireland on Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, TikTok, all the social media platforms, primarily Instagram, for all the updates on team lists and everything from the start of the week, including stories on snakes <laughs> and anything else that might pop up um, at AFLW underscore Ireland.
2: Please God know what the snakes, but everything else, yes, we're on board with. Uh, Mike, as ever, it's a pleasure to talk to you, buddy. Thank you. We look forward to speaking to you again next week here on the Big Red Bench.
3: Thanks, Jared. Chat next week. The Big Red Bench. Game on. Saturday and Sunday from 6 p.m.
2: Cork's Red FM's resident Formula One expert Sarah Mackenzie Foley rejoins us on the Big Red Bench Women in Sport Podcast to provide analysis, comment, and our expert review of this weekend's Singapore Grand Prix. Sarah details how Carlos Sainz secured his first Ferrari win with top-notch tactics, why Red Bull's winning streak came to an end at an action-packed Singapore GP race, Mercedes' brave strategic decision that earned a podium but heartbreak for George Russell, and why Liam Lawson scoring his first World Championship points is a driver to look out for in the near future. Now, here on the Big Red Bench, oh, I've been looking forward to this. This is this week's Formula One segment. I look forward to it every week, obviously, with our resident expert, Sarah McKenzie-Foley, but especially this week because Farza Ferrari, Carlos Sainz bringing home the win uh, at the Singapore Grand Prix. An action-packed weekend, not just race. Loads of headlines, loads of stories coming from us. There's only one person, as I said, that we have to talk to, and that's our resident Corks Red FM Formula One expert, Sarah McKenzie-Foley. Sarah, how are you?
0: I'm great. I'm very much enjoying this renewed enthusiasm. <laughs>
2: <laughs> It'll only last one weekend, but while we have it, we'll go with it. There's only one place to start because uh, the Singapore Grand Prix, which is now in the books, the end of Red Bull's dominance over the previous 10 Grand Prix, which was something in itself. And we'll talk about Red Bull very shortly, but let's focus on the winner. It's only fair we focus on the winner, Carlos Sainz. And uh, you believe he looks strong all weekend, not just in the race itself.
0: Yeah, absolutely. He looked like he always had the edge, you know, both Ferraris were looking strong, but he kind of even practice and and early qualifying, he was just absolutely banking in the laps. And you have to say that he seems to have come back from the summer break with a lot of renewed energy and also kind of he isn't really willing to sit back and let Ferrari make the mistakes they've made. He's like, I'm taking this on my own and I'm running with it because he was just on it right until the very end. Like the presence of mind to allow Lando Norris behind him to get within the one second DRS window to help defend against the Mercedes behind. He didn't get that instruction because his engineer came over the radio and said, Norris is 0.8 behind. And he said, yeah, it's on purpose. (laughs) Like talk about smooth operator. That was very, very impressive.
2: Yeah, I said the exact same thing uh, as as pretty much well, not the exact same thing as that engineer, but close. We're going. What are you doing? And mm. there you've explained why, as always. This is what we have you on before we move off. Science and Ferrari Leclerc. What does this mean for him when you see science bringing home that car in first place and being on it all weekend? Because he had his moments, Charles. Mm. But this, this uh, as great as this is for Ferrari, this is not good for him.
0: Yeah, I think he was unfortunate because he didn't necessarily really do anything wrong, you know, to to leave him in the position he was in. There's always a risk attached to double stacking your cars with pit stops. And Ferrari would have taken a penalty for unsafe release for anything other than what they did. So it's not that anyone did anything wrong. It's just, unfortunately, that's sport, you know, that's the way it goes. And um, I actually have a, a video coming out this week on the fact that I think both Ferrari and Mercedes need to start being a lot more explicit about who their number one driver is. And right now you'd have to say at Ferrari, that's Carlos Sainz.
2: You certainly would. Yeah, that stack of the, the the pit stops, not just Ferrari, but the slowness of some drivers coming in, their partners right behind them. I mean, that was just top class television. That's going to be the Netflix episode that's going to stand yeah, out yes. in the series. Basically, <laughs> just a visual of that alone and in the night and Singapore looking so good. We gotta talk about Red Bull. They are still gonna win the constructors' championship. Max Verstappen is still gonna be world champion, but their winning stream came winning streak came to an end, and the expletives coming out of Verstappen's mouth were about the mm. second biggest highlight of the weekend for me as a Ferrari <laughs> fan to hear those things. But um why, Sarah? I suppose a lot of people are asking, how is it you got ten races? And then the performance just isn't there. Is it the track? Is it the setup? And your reaction as well, like, I mean, Perez as well. Let's not forget him. He finished outside the points. Very bad weekend for uh, for Red Bull.
0: I think, honestly, nobody really understands. You know, Christian Horner has come out and said he's confused. Um, you know, the live footage from the pit wall of him and Adrian Newey was something we really haven't seen for a long time. They look utterly just flabbergasted um and very uncomfortable. And I think it won't be lost on any F1 fans that the one weekend this year that hasn't been dominated by Red Bull has been the most entertaining race of the season. And you know, Christian Horner has kind of put a positive spin on it. He said, look, having such a difficult weekend will help them to know what they need to improve on and keep an eye out for in the development of next season's car. But I I think that is a very silver lining approach given the experience that they had all weekend and i think possibly it's also a subtle way of him saying to other teams hey this is just a blip like don't get don't get your hopes up um but as you mentioned Sergio Perez i mean hmm. he was like a man demented during the grand prix i mean he he ran yuki Snowda out of the race he obviously he also hit alex albon he was only kind of investigated for one of those incidents and he just was all over the place. And I think everyone is really just shocked, as you said, at the the complete drop off in performance because it
2: doesn't really make sense. It doesn't, but we talked about this before and we talked about it when he came back into form. Can you be consistent, Checo? You can be lightning when you want to be, when the setup is right and when the when the, when the track tends to suit your style of racing, he deserves that seat. But here's a prime example when everything is going wrong. Stop making mistakes and do something. And like, that's the difference between the long-term consistent drivers. And if they need another reason to be a stick to beat, check out with it. It's unfortunate. Look, mm. look at Max. He was having he was having the same kind of problems. But you know, fi- finishing outside the points again, like as you said, fans have noticed it. Uh, Christian Horner has definitely noticed it. So I mean, it it, it just shows that he's not the guy to get you consistent points, no matter what the setup, no matter what the situation, if it's all right and everything's going well, a bit like George Russell, a bit like Lando Norris, or a bit like Fernando Alonso these days now, to me anyway. Uh, is that fair?
0: I think he, yeah, it's, I mean, he's had a very up and down season, as you say. I mean, we used to call him the king of the street tracks and look how this weekend went. You know, he's previously had great time in Singapore. I think it's, it's very worrying for him. You know, I think had Daniel Ricciardo not broken his hand and been replaced by Liam Lawson, I think Perez could be under even more pressure than he is now. I think that sort of bought him some time potentially, but I'm still not convinced he's going to be in that seat for next year.
2: Yeah, it's another one to look at definitely in the off season as well. I think it's going to be generate a lot of headlines. Let's talk about Mercedes. uh, Brave strategic decision that got him to the podium. Talk to us about that, but we have to talk about first of all, George Russell. um, Final lap in control, on the podium, inexplici- inexplicably uh, touching the wall with his back rear and then crashing off and, and bursting into tears. Uh, your assessment of, of of both Mercedes drivers, but let's start with poor old George first.
0: Yeah, I think it's a real shame for him because actually he was the front runner of the two cars for pretty much the whole weekend. He was consistently putting in faster lap times than Lewis Hamilton. And I think really the pressure got to him. You know, the, they they double stacked their drivers under the virtual safety car, took that gamble, as you mentioned. And it was brave, but it was definitely the right decision. And, you know, when they came out after that pit stop, there was a four second gap between them with Hamilton behind. And by the time they cut up to the back of Norris, that gap was gone. And Lewis Hamilton was all over George Russell on the radio asking him, like, asking can he speed up, you know, literally taking a different line at times on the track to avoid crashing into him, and Russell just couldn't take the heat.
2: He couldn't take the heat, and I know he started crying, and I know he was upset, and I know you're being (laughs) very nice because you're a very nice person. I'm clearly not. Is this what you're looking for in a Formula One driver? I mean, do you not want to be cutthroat, come out and start swearing like Max did afterwards and be angry with yourself, you know, put your hand up and go, you know what? pressure got mm-hmm. to me, won't get to me again. Instead, it was just as like, as you said, I mean, and I, I actually felt um, for Lewis in this one because Lewis was clearly quicker, um, was mm-hmm. clearly honest, knew the track inside out. He was taking those different lines, as you said. Will there be more sparks in the relationship between the two? Not that there's much of a relationship anyway, but is this something to keep an eye on in, in the remaining races because of what's happened?
0: I, I think so. I th- it was quite awkward, to be honest with you, the way it played out because... As you say, Lewis was the faster car in the race at that point. Had he been allowed past George, I actually think he would have been up behind science potentially. Um, you know, Mercedes could have been looking at it at the very least a double podium, if yeah. not a win. And they decided not to do that. Um, I think it's very interesting. I think that, no, you don't want that from your driver. Is that the driver that you trust to take your team forward when Lewis Hamilton does eventually
2: retire? it's I can hear the answer in your voice. It's okay. Yeah, Yeah, It's
0: concerning. Yeah, it is. And I think he, at the very least, he's going to learn an awful lot from this experience. And I think Mercedes on their own have some questions to answer as well. I think when they take a cold, hard look at it, did we sacrifice success here for the sake of, you know, family politics? And I think, also, they didn't show up for Lewis's podium celebration.
2: Oh, right. Yes, like, that's
0: right. I don't understand. Uh, it's not the first time it's happened either. Yeah. You know, it's um,
2: it irks me a little bit. Of course it does. It irks you and all the Lewis fans, but I think it's just brilliant drama. More of the same, please, for the next couple of rounds. Um, yeah, I think the Mercedes relationship Shall we say? Look, there, there's a lot going on off the track. They need to get ready for next year. It seems churlish to say it right now, but they do, and they need harmony. They need harmony uh, within the team as much as you can possibly expect in a Formula One team between two drivers who probably just want to win all the time. But that I thought the last couple of laps of the Singapore GP will actually tell a lot more about both drivers. End of uh, the end of Lewis's career, and certainly George's George Russell's upcoming career, because you've got to be able to take the heat in the kitchen, and mm-hmm. if you can't. Stand up and tell everybody, well, it's uh, my fault. Do whatever other Formula One driver does. And I think the emotions that I saw from George were, I, I was surprised because I think he's a mm. really smooth driver. He's a real, and he's been getting started season. Let's not forget, sir, he was he was outperforming Lewis until Lewis mm. got his act together. Absolutely. Um, but I think the reason they haven't pushed it a little bit more is because they don't want to upset poor old Lewis. God love him. But I'm sure he's hardly any money these days now. But... um <laughs> Yeah, let's keep an eye on that one. Now, finally, uh, from the Singapore GP, you wanted to talk as well about somebody who scored their first championship points, and that's Liam Lawson.
0: Yeah, he's acquitted himself so well so far. You know, he's only had a very short amount of time to get used to that alpha Terry, and it's also his first ever Singapore Grand Prix, which is largely considered to be, if not the difficult, most difficult race, one of the most difficult physically and mentally by the driver so I think he did a fantastic job this weekend all weekend it has to be said and there's talk you know about Alpha Terry being rebranded for 2024 and I think he's very much putting his stake in the ground to claim a full-time seat and you know poor Yuki Tsunoda unfortunately has played a kind of supporting actor role this this year not really through any fault of his own but he also hasn't lit the world on fire so We know that the Red Bull family, I'm saying in quotes, uh, does not give many second chances. So I don't know what I don't know if we'll be seeing Yuki again next year
2: yeah I, unfortunately and I'm not being smart with Yuki look he obviously has a lot of money behind him and he's a very very capable driver but it, it does sound like uh, we may not see him uh, next year based on what we've seen so far this year you've got to start finishing some races first before we can even assess him and if you're not able to do that somebody else deserves a chance to come in uh, that's the Singapore GP rounded up the uh, Carlos Sainz Junior as we said winning all 25 points Landon and McLaren coming in second a great race for him Lewis Hamilton third in the Mercedes Charles Leclerc and the Ferrari in fourth and Max Verstappen <laughs> down in fifth place but Max has the last laugh because. Red Bull still lead the, the constructors 597 points way out in front of Mercedes and 289 Ferrari 265 now push a bit closer thanks to Sainz's performance and in the Drivers Championship yes he'll soon be crowned champion we all know Max Verstappen 374 points 14 podiums 12 wins Checo Perez is in second uh, Lewis Hamilton third Fernando Alonso is in fourth and Carlos Sainz Jr. now up to fifth on 142 points we look ahead uh, now that the Singapore GP is uh, in the books the next one out is on the 24th of September and that is the Suzuka circuit, the Japanese Grand Prix. Always drama in that one. Looking forward to that one, particularly in the interim. Uh, And before we hear from you ahead um, of the Japanese Grand Prix, Sarah Mackenzie-Foley, where can we find your content on social media?
0: Yep. So as I mentioned, I've got a video coming out on those dynamics in Ferrari and Mercedes this week on YouTube. So if you search Sarah Mackenzie F1, you'll find me there. And I'm also on Twitter at MacTweets underscore.
2: Excellent stuff. Looking forward to the Japanese Grand Prix already. Hopefully it'll be a 1-2 for Ferrari. Let's uh, keep the fingers crossed. But for now, Sarah Mackenzie foley as ever, thank you very much for bringing us all your Formula 1 expertise to the big red bench. Thanks, sir.
0: Missed the show? Grab the Big Red Bench podcast at redfm.ie. Cork's Red FM.
2: Okay, so we've reached the business end and then very close to and about to start the knockout stages of this year's Cork LGFA Senior, Intermediate and Junior County Championships. Lots of action across the county last weekend and lots of action to come over the coming weeks as we hit the knockout stages and it's already been a brilliant championship across all of those grades. So let's dive in. We start as ever at the top with the Senior Football Championship where for my defeated Castlehaven 3-8 to 1-12 in Group 2 of the LGFA Senior Football Championship last Sunday. Two goals in four minutes handed Fermoy a 2-4 to 1-6 interval advantage and uh, Castlehaven also missed a first half penalty before the concession of a third green flag for Fermoy emerged uh, two point winners. Searshamour top scored for the winners with 2-2. Abby Scannell got 1-1. Ava Carey three points. Teresa Murphy and Michelle Parker a point each for Fermoy on the day. Ellen Buckley netted Castlehaven's solitary goal in a game the Granio Sullivan four points. Murado Driscoll three points. Points. Neva Sullivan and Hannah Sheehy, two-point seats, and Shelley Daly were also on the score sheet. Following that defeat, Castlehaven will now travel to an Ahada team, who are on top form following their 4-14 to four-point defeat of Bride Rovers in both sides' final Group 2 match last Sunday. Um, and in that particular game, uh, Katie Quirk uh, got two points, Kira Morrison got a point, and Grace Carney also got a point for Bright in a game that... F- Emma Farmer top scorer with two six for Ada. Hannah Looney got four points. Mary Lee and Saoirse Feely a goal each. Caitlin Smith, Katie O'Farrell, Christine Mornin and Amanda Bennett a point each. Were the other winners' scores on the day? What all that means is in Group Two, Mourn Abbey, who didn't play last weekend, reigning champions, they remain uh, top of the table on maximum points from three games, nine points for them. Adder up to second with oh, six points. From Eye on four points and Castlehaven on three points. Bride Rovers have now completed uh, their uh, fixtures and they uh, only have a point. In show for that so the upcoming fixtures as we said Ahada will host Castlehaven next Sunday which is a straight shootout to see who can force their way into a county semi-final slot Fermoy will entertain Morn Abbey in the final round of those Group 2 games now to the other group in the Senior Football Championship and that's Group 1 where Kate O'Sullivan's goal proved crucial as Clannacilty edged Kinsale uh, in the Senior Football Championship Group 1 game in Ahamilla last Friday night Clan overcame torrential rain and a tough opponent to secure their second championship victory of the season Kinsale deservedly led 6 points to 5 late in the opening half when O'Sullivan's long range point attempt drifted in off the crossbar changing ends 1-6 to not 8 behind a dominant third quarter in which Kinsale lost 3 key players to injury Injury saw Klan stretch their advantage to five. Jennifer Murphy's late goal offered Kinsale hope but their opponent saw out the five minutes of injury time to seal an important victory. Katie O'Driscoll, Myra Barrett, Orla Lowney, Kate O'Donovan, and Sinead O'Donovan stood out for the winners while Kinsale's Sive O'Leary was a threat whenever in possession before she retired injured. Emma O'Brien, Quiva Horgan, Lorraine Copthorne, and Tracy McCarty also played well for Kinsale on the night. Clan scores were Sinead O'Donovan with six points, Kate O'Donovan with one two, Myra Barrett with two points, and Anya and Claire O'Leary with a point apiece for Kinsale. Quiva Horgan kicked three free, Sive O'Leary also got three points, Jennifer Murphy got their goal, and Lorraine Copthorne. Kicked two points, so Clan's latest win means the West Cork club has an outside chance of making the top two county semi-final qualifying spots. But that will require pulling off. It will be a shock win away to the group joint leaders and in form. Aeroog on Thursday evening. That's because the Ovens Club were pushed to the limit before seeing off St. Val's last weekend. Emer Scally was having a fantastic season for Aeroog, top scored one seven in a one eleven to thirteen point Aeroog win against the St. Val's team that are now also in county semi final contention. Shauna Cronin's two points were Aeroog's other scores. Kieran McCarthy six points, Amy Shepherd two points, Eileen Corkery two points, Laura Bottomer two points, and Ellen Coakley a point were on St. Val's score sheet. So what all that means heading into the final round of senior Group One fixtures is that. As we said, Eirik are joint top with St. Val's on nine points. St. Val's have now completed their fixtures. Kilkelly are just behind in six, and Kinsale and Shrovers uh, have yet to register. On Thursday night, Clan need to win in Ovens to push themselves into potential county semi-final contention. But the big game on Sunday between Kinsale and Shrovers is a must not lose game for both sides. The loser will uh, meet Bray Rovers in relegation playoff. The winner will retain their senior status for another season. Now, there were no matches in the Cork LGFA Intermediate County Championship this past weekend as the group phase had already been concluded. The semi-final line-up, which is unconfirmed at the time of this recording, looks like Neva Vaughan will be hosting Ross Carberry and Glenmire will be entertaining Valley Rovers. On to the Cork LGFA Junior A Championship, where Donnies cemented a county semi-final berth courtesy of a sixteen points to two four defeat of their West Cork rivals Bantry Blues last Sunday. Megan McSweeney netted an early Bantry goal, but the Dromundre club responded positively to lead nine points to one two at the break. Bantry goalkeeper Shanna O'Sullivan played superbly throughout, and despite losing Sarah Bishop to a late black card, the Blues rallied in the closing stages with Jessica Gleeson netting their second goal. Donnies finished strongly, however, scoring four points to run out convincing winners the Dunman Club scores on the day included Mairead Crowley and Ruth Collins who each kicked five points Cork senior Melissa Duggan weighed in with four points Rachel Collins with a further two and some of the winner standout players included Melissa Duggan Ruth Collins and Aaron O'Donovan Banshee Blue scores came via Megan McSweeney Jessica Gleeson uh, who got a goal each. Caitlin O'Maney, Sarah Bishop and Eva Kingston who each got a point apiece. The other Junior A fixture completed last weekend involved Middleton um, overpowering Douglas three ten to three points. Ella McCarthy, Quiver Russell Neymar, Smith were on target for Douglas but Middleton convincing winners there. So what all that means is the final Junior A Football Championship round-robin position see O'Donovan-Rossa topping the table on maximum points from their four games. Donnies finished second and nine points with Middleton third and Douglas fourth. Bantry Blues missed out on a county semi-final berth despite a positive overall season. Now it's yet to be confirmed at the time of recording, but it looks like O'Donovan-Rossa will host Douglas and Donnies will entertain Middleton in this year's Junior A Football Championship county semi-finals. Tyke McCorrig were already assured a, co- a Junior B County semi-final berth before last Sunday's clash with joint group leaders Bishopstown. The two, so- two sides played out a thrilling one twelve 12 to one draw in which Ellen Hurley 4 points, Amy McKennedy 3 points, Katie Kingston a goal, Aleo Sullivan, Maureen Keating 2 each and Rachel Leonard a point scored for Tyke McCorrig. In the other Junior B County Group 1 game, Nemo Rangers proved far too strong for Corsi Rovers winning convincingly four fourteen to 6 points and claiming third place in the final group table. Rock Bond cemented a Junior B County semi-final berth by edging Carrigaline two twelve to two nine. Uh, Hill finished third in Group Two courtesy of a three six to one six defeat of Drum Tariff As a result, and again just at the time of recording, it looks like Rock Bond will face Bishopstown in the other Junior B County semi-final, while Tyke Macari take on Carrigaline. On to the Junior C Championship. This is a straight group uh, round-robin affair in which Beira picked up their second county championship victory of the season away to St. Michael's last weekend. A 5-12-9 win was attained courtesy of four goals and six points from former Cork senior Anya Terry O'Sullivan, who was enjoying a superb year. Becky O'Sullivan won two, Katie O'Sullivan, Anna Downing, Emma Dunnehu, and Ruby Downing a point each were also on the score sheet. Farbera in that one. They have two remaining run robin games against Ballinora this Sunday and St Peter's to try and secure a Junior C County final appearance. Also last weekend, Mallow overcame Ballinora three ten to two six, and all that means in the fi- in the current Junior D. Uh, junior C sorry Championship standings Aaron's own out on top uh, with f- maximum points from 4 games today at 12 points then there's 3 clubs on 9 points St. Peter's Ballinora and Mallow Bear on 6 points with St. Michael's and St. Cullum's yet to register and uh, this coming weekend's games as we said are quite important in what's proving a very tight championship St. Cullum's will entertain St. Michael's Barrow will host Ballinora and Mallow will take on the uh, current Junior C Paysetters Aaron's own in the Junior D County Championship in uh, as well, just very, very similar to the SEA Championship, played in a stri- straight round robin. This was completed last weekend with Gould, uh joining McCroom at the top of the table on 10 points apiece with a big win over Winter Gerbils there for Liskuld. The other game that was played um, saw uh defeat St. Finbar's 3-8 to one eleven. So after four games, Liskuld and McCroom are joined top on 10 points. Ballonhasig of six, St. Finbar's at three and Winter Gerbils yet to register. In the Junior E Championship Group One, Y'all continued their dominance of this particular group uh, with a big win over Mitchellstone. In the same group, Kilshanig and Nocknagree played out a cracking four seven to four seven draw. And what that means is Y'all stay top of the table and maximum points after three games with nine. Knocknagree have four, Kilshanig have two, and Barra have a point, and Mitchellstone yet to register. In group two of the same championship, remember the top two from each group go through to the semifinals. finals uh, Clonagale picked up their first win of the championship, a three eleven to two eleven win, away to Kilworth, in their final actual group outing um, at the time of recording. Klein are top of the table with nine points from three games. Bandon in joint second now with Clonagale and six points, but they still have two games to go. Bandon, Clonagale have finished. Kildare and Kilworth yet to register. In the Junior F Championship again, two groups as well involved here. There was two matches completed last weekend, um, where Saint Coleman's and Dripsy played out an entertaining game. Uh, Dripsy edging that one three five to two seven. Ballincollig who are the pace centres in this particular grade, a big win for them over Kilavullen two fourteen to one eight. So Ballincollig top of the standings after three rounds on nine points. Kilavullen and Dripsy six points apiece. Kirk Tool three points, and Saint Coleman's and Saint Mary's yet to get off the mark. In Group 2 of the Junior F Championship, Ibane ladies maintain their perfect Junior F County Championship record with a third straight victory. A 4-9 to 3-11 defeat of Granada put Ibane top of the run Robin standings thanks to 1-8 from Grace Tobin, 1-1 from Roshini Vukula and a goal each from Eleanor Reardon and Alison McCarthy Kiel Amina, uh, were well beaten by Bantier in that group as well this past weekend Ibane ladies as we said top of the table with nine points from three games Bantier in second on six Grenade on four Glanworth on three Passage on one and Kiel and still awaiting their first points of the season so that's it for another week rounded up here in the Cork LGFA Senior Intermediate and Junior Championships CorkLadiesFootball.com will have all the latest fixtures and results and tables for you to check and also do check out uh, Cork LGFA across their social media channels over the coming days and weekend because there's a lot of knockout games coming up. Go out and support your local ladies' football team if you can. Lots of action to look forward to, as I said, this coming weekend. And uh, we'll have a full roundup once again on the Big Red Bench with me, Jeremy McCarthy, next week. That's it for another Big Red Bench Women in Sport podcast. Remember to subscribe to the Big Red Bench on Spotify or Apple Podcasts. And you can also listen online at redextra.ie. Don't forget to tune into the Big Red Bench with Rory O'Hagan, Colm O'Sullivan, and guests between 6 and 7 pm on the radio every Saturday and Sunday follow The Big Red Bench across all our social media channels as well as visiting our official website redfm.ie
0: The Big Red Bench Saturday and Sunday from 6pm Cork's Red FM